want to make a podcast, let me tell you about Spotify's program for podcasters. And it's called Spotify for Podcasters. I've been using it for over a year now. Couldn't be happier from the switch. You can record wherever you create podcasts, whether it be your phone, computer, and it's easy to upload it and distribute it to everywhere podcasts are heard. With Spotify for Podcasters, you can earn money in a variety of ways, including ads and podcast subscriptions. Best of all, Spotify for Podcasters is completely free. So launch your podcast today. Get started with Spotify for Podcasters. Go to www.spotify.com backslash podcasters to get started. The Afterburn Podcast is brought to you by bogeydope.com. Interested in a career in military aviation or civilian aviation? Let those who've walked the path guide you through the process and land the dream job. Click the link down below to take you to bogeydope.com. You can use Afterburn for 5% off. Wingman Watches, founded by a fighter pilot. Create a custom, unique timepiece that's one of a kind for your organization or find one of the many awesome designs they already have out there. Use the code RAIN10 for 10% off or mention my name for a discount on your custom build. Altitude. Altitude. Tower 26 is released to you. Runway 4 left, 0 0 at 5. Clear for takeoff. Sea tide. Altitude is zero eyes. We're clear for takeoff. Clear for the airspace. Fire protector. Fire protector. Welcome back. Excited for today's podcast. Vader and Bender from the Kodiak Shack jump back for a bro chat. Everyone seemed to really enjoy that. There might be a kid or two in this podcast. It turns out that Bender's pretty busy, and when he can lend his time, which is limited, there might be a kid or two. Still, it's a great conversation. Everyone seemed to really enjoy these bro chats. So we're back to do it again. As always, thanks to my Patreon supporters for supporting the podcast and helping the podcast grow. You can become a Patreon supporter and get exclusive content by clicking the link down in the show notes below. But at a minimum, if you're liking this content, drop a rating or review over iTunes and Spotify. If you leave a comment, again, I read those. I appreciate those. It helps the podcast out. Thank you to everyone who supports the podcast, either via Patreon or dropping a radio interview. With that being said, let's jump into the episode with Vader and Bender. There's so many possibilities, I suppose. That's true. Yeah. We, uh, well, hey, everybody, we haven't decided how we're going to do the intro, so we're just going to, we're going to do it live. Send first it. thing I have to, yeah, first thing I have to talk about is uh is why is it always navy pilots that see uaps or uh or unidentified flying or airborne phenomena uh and air force guys seem to be not as worried about that but maybe that's just me what do you what do you think rain that's a great point you know because i've never heard anyone who's like dude i gotta tell you about this i was out in the airspace or i was over iraq and you know this uap as they now call it popped up and was flying around. I have no idea what it was. My theory is that after nine months on a boat with 5,000 dudes, you just start to see things. <laughs> That's what I think it is. Yeah. Although I will I say that, that thing, uh, was it like Joe Rogan? I think commander Farver. Yeah. Is that how you Seeing the targeting pod footage of that tic tac moving around. If that's a real thing, it's pretty, pretty wild. Yeah. I have, uh, I have my theories. I have a lot of theories about it. I don't know how many I can talk to, uh, but I let's we'll go this way. Do you because uh, so they had that commander Fravor guy on Joe Rogan, which again, why is it always Navy guys that go on a show with like 11 million people to hear him talk about their UFO uh, conspiracies? <laughs> but either way, the uh, we'll 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 see what everybody thinks. So from some military branch or. Other than human made, what do you guys think? I give it to Bender. I mean, you know, I, and I'm not like super well versed with this stuff. Not that anyone is. Yeah. But also kind of cynical. I'm like, again, you know, it is only the Navy guys that pop up and, and do this stuff. I, I'm going to go. It's military for the sheer fact that like, I, I just imagine they're not telling people, the whole truth. You know, I just, that is my expectation. 
Yeah, I hope that, you know, you see, we didn't know about the B2. We didn't know about the F-117. That stuff was essentially designed late 70s, early 80s technology. And it's pretty impressive, in my humble opinion. And now, I mean, if you just look at from what we operated, we're in high school, we had a Nokia phone. And then, you know, 2007 pops up iPhone. It's completely changed the world. I'm thinking that there's smart people buried underground somewhere that fly off, you know, every week and they're just doing all this work. And I'll, I'll jump to, cause you guys, I think we mentioned last time, Rush Fulkerson, you know, he was a fate with us. He was in the 41st Viper dude test pilot. And I know he was going to get out of the air force as a test pilot and a job popped up somewhere in the world. And the guy who's like, who's doing it. He's like, dude, I can't tell you anything about it other than it's the best job you'll ever have in your entire life. And then Rush went off and disappeared. And then he would respond to text messages like three days late or two weeks late. Or his wife was like, hey, he's gone right now. I imagine he was flying some really cool stuff or doing things. So I would hope I so. Know. Technology, I, it ha- yeah. There's got to be some really cool toys that are just hidden there that we don't know about. Yeah. Well, everybody, because I uh, did a terrible intro because we're just kind of getting into it. Obviously, it's uh, Rain Waters from the Afterburn podcast. We've got uh, Vader here from the Kodiak Shack podcast. And Bender as a uh, regular staple in these uh, bro chats. This is volume three, if you are unaware. Uh, and we've got Bender, who's being uh, oddly silent here. Uh, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> but well, the I, oh, go ahead. I can't talk about that kind of stuff. I've seen the UFOs. Oh, there we go. Maybe you can spend some time with them. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> the uh <laughs> well I think you know maybe maybe uh Bender joined the Navy. That's what we're experiencing here because apparently it's only Navy guys doing this. But I think if it's anybody's a question seen, of sensors. Yeah, oh, that's you true. guys are we're Mexican radars. You don't get to see anything. That's true. <laughs> we don't even see the adversaries who we're supposed to see in an APG sixty eight. The uh well and anybody who's seen the F-22 Raptor demo, which Rain and I watched it at McIntyre when it was doing. Yeah. You watch that thing maneuver and you're like, that's a UFO. That's humans cannot make a machine that maneuvers like that. So I have faith that they can build yeah. whatever there is out there. This does not make sense. Speaking of McIntyre, I was out there with those guys this past weekend. I heard that you interviewed some of them for the Guns Garen Memorial Foundation. I was out there doing a bunch of stuff with them. We hung out on a drill weekend we might or might not have had one of our camera guys get in a little bit of trouble um, with some oh, yeah. of his videoing, but they fixed it. You know, life was good, but it spiced it up a little bit on Sunday. Well, I want to hear about that. That sounds good. <laughs> yeah. You <laughs> know how things like security forces. Yeah. So someone said F in front of mom, but they, they might've just gotten one angle. They weren't supposed to get, but the jet wasn't running. Like life was going to be okay. We just, I'd slowly watch this thing evolve. So it was like during the launch out there, guys are stepping in the jets. They're getting a bunch of B-roll footage of these guys stepping in the jets. And then you can see the security forces truck roll around. Then the security forces gets out and like talks to him. Then he comes over and talks to me. And it's like, okay, it's gonna be good. And the best part of this too, you guys know Mosey. Mosey is like perma top three out there. So he's sitting at the desk for those listening. And just, he's kind of managing like if there's, Something happens at the airfield, he relays it to the guys. If there's maintenance issues, he relays between the jets and maintenance. He's he's the corner, he's the backbone of this operation. But he became the lightning rod for this whole thing too. So he's had to deal with security forces, review footage, and all this stuff. It ended up being like a two-hour ordeal. Again, it worked out like common sense prevailed, but um, it was it was a little bit painful. And then also reminded me of like just the shenanigans that can happen. And you're just like, man, I told the story. So I was like demo days, right? We would be out there video and taking photographs all the time out at y'all and the maintenance guys would just call it in. Like I would be the approving authority down there at the demo ramp. I'm sitting at my desk and I just, my back's to the window to the flight line. And I just see flashing blue lights. And like, I look back and they have our public affairs guy, in handcuffs on the ground. I'm like, Oh man, this is not good. I guess I better go out there. So I go out there and I'm talking to the cops. I'm like, Hey, yeah, he's authorized to do this. Like what's going on? Like, well, sir, no one called in the photo pass and he's out here taking photos. I'm like, we literally do this like four times a week, if not five times a week. The pass was called in. Like I'm the proving authority. Can we just like say, whoops. Okay. There was like a little 
miscommunication. We're good to go. Like, no, sir, we got to take him in. So they like, they took him into the, you know, the station. Like it was again, like two hours he's held there. I'm like, here's what's going to happen. Like, I'm going to call the group commander. Group commander's going to call the security, MSG commander, the mission support group commander who owns security forces. And it's just going to like, it's going to take up everyone's day. And it's like five o'clock in the afternoon. Can we just move past this? Like, no. So there's a little bit of that this weekend, but you know, what can you do? Well, I, I think McIntyre's a little on edge, you know, they just got upgraded, uh, saber radars, you know? So yeah. now they're like probably really sketchy and like, Oh man, like people are trying to pull one over on the old mighty Viper jet. Yeah. Know? There's no way. <laughs> And yeah. the, uh, it's funny, you know, I understand that like security forces, you don't, you don't get to make your, you know, make like real time decisions. Like there are yeah. rules and security forces has to stick by them. Uh, this, this is not a story bagging on security forces. This is a story bagging on the air force. Just if anybody is, uh, unclear. Yeah. But if you but, start it that way, it sounds like we're going to bag on security. Forces it's like, well, with, I'm bagging with all on due respect forces guy. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Prepare to Bless be disrespected. Heart. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so the, uh, so, uh, Bender and I, and maybe rain, you met him, but, uh, Compton was one of our buddies in Japan and, uh, he's driving around Japan. Uh, on a base, obviously, and uh, the speed limit is 40 kilometers an hour, and uh, so you're just cruising around, which uh, I'm not, I, I don't math well, but I think it's like <laughs> 30 miles an hour, maybe. Yeah. Um, so it's slow, and apparently Compton rolls through a stop sign, so mm. he gets, he gets pulled, yeah, he gets pulled over, hey, rules are rules, so the security forces gentleman is like, hey, uh, you rolled through that stop sign, and Compton is like, what stop sign? And he's just like, I don't even know what you're talking about. And so they're like, hey, I got to give you a ticket. So they write Compton a ticket. And Compton is, uh, we'll call him Kurt. Uh, so he's he's pretty direct. He's he's not the, uh, you know, the kid gloves guy. And he goes, so what am I supposed to do with this? Like, uh, you know, do I have to pay something? And he's like, oh, no, sir. You just you just have to tell your commander. And he goes, oh, this. so it's not a real ticket. Like he's just, he, and when he says real ticket, he means like, I don't have to pay anything. Like this is just like a point on my on-base driving record. So him saying that to the, the security forces, uh, gentleman, he gets, he gets upset. Cause you know, now you're like disrespecting the ticket. So that goes from that security forces person all the way up to the group level over to the ops group and back down to the squadron. And Compton had to be, I think it was service dress, and yeah. effectively apologize for calling it not a real ticket. And yeah. I was like, they, I, they like called I in get that it. that security forces officer was like in the room, right? Like standing there yeah. waiting for an apology from Compton. <laughs> what? Yeah. And again, like I get it, but okay, a guy was a jerk, you know, like just let it go. But I, I was, I was shocked when I heard that as like a a lieutenant and I was like, what organization am I in? Like, this is weird. Like, I, I don't know. It's a fortune 100 company. It's not a, it's not a military branch, you know? Right. I think, uh, again, I'm very appreciative what security forces, what they do. Like it's a, I mean, it's a thankless job, but it's very important and you absolutely need them. But they're hearing stories like that. And it, I mean, it's not just like security forces, right? Like if someone got offended, like at the finance office and it's like, now it just goes up and over and you're like, just do your job. I'll do my job. And like everyone wins. I'm cynical about that. I feel like Bender might have a story or two um, like that. I don't know. Main Bender. I don't, do you have anything like that? No, I'm pretty clean throughout my career. I think generally. <laughs> <laughs> I was just thinking, I was like, I remember yeah, I like, mean, no one has time Bender, for that. It's so, so annoying. Yeah. That's what Bender's like to the point, and he calls people's BS. That's what I, I really appreciate about Bender. And I think you did that once or twice at Shaw. Yeah. Some people don't appreciate that, though. I had We had pretty good commanders, though. I didn't get in a whole lot of trouble as a general rule. But I wasn't also allowed to talk to some people directly as a general rule either. So, <laughs> well, Yeah, because, again, you, like, called them on their BS. And that's what, I again, I appreciated. I think it was, like, something at the gate. I remember it was... Didn't like Shaw, it like went to like single gate ops. Like it just became like ridiculous. And I think you just spoke, you're, you spoke facts and then facts hurt someone's feelings. But <laughs> yeah, I don't, but they had like, I can't remember what it was exactly, but it was single, 
Oh yeah, they they put up like two or three stop signs. You remember that? So you had to That's what stop it was. like a hundred yards from the gate, and then you stopped fifty yards from the gate, and then they stopped to check your ID. And so like uh, the line was like two miles long, and they'd wait for the one car yep. to come up, and then on the other side they had like Humvees set up with no kidding, they're like fifty cows and a guy manning it for whatever reason, like on the other side of the gate. So for whatever reason, the threat con had reached some insane level. So it was like, yeah, the first guy would go up, he'd get his ID checked, he'd go through, they'd wait for him to like make it past the 50 cows or whatever, like, okay, he's safe. And then they'd marshal the guy who's waiting at a stop sign 50 yards away up to the gate, wait till he was in place. And then the next guy would come up for it. I mean, it was, it took hours to get through that line. It was ridiculous. That's what I remember. Yeah. So. Cause I remember you, yeah, you called it on it. And just going back, like, I'm not a tactician when it comes to force protection and gates, but I was like, this is the silliest thing in the world. One, we're stateside. So if you need to put barricades up to, like, impede traffic flow and slow down someone who might run the gate, like, the resources exist. But putting a stop sign up, like, I don't know. If I'm going to run the gate, I'm not going to give heedance to your stop sign, like a concrete barrier wall. Like I have to physically go around. That was so dumb. Yeah. I forgot about that. Yeah. Yeah. That was, that was painful. There's so a lot of bad was... ideas out there. Just getting <laughs> processes. I had, we had one guy who he lost his ID. I, I might've already, I'm not sure if we're sharing the same stories we've shared before, but he, so he's a captain Viper pilot. He loses ID. He goes to the, ID place. He's like, Hey, I'd like a, I just need to get a new ID. I lost it. And they're like, well, have you spoken to your first sergeant about it? He's like, I don't have a first sergeant. I'm the last group. We don't have a first sergeant. Like every group has a first sergeant. He's like, no, I'm pretty sure we don't have one. He's like, you do. Don't come back until you have a, like a MFR signed by your first sergeant. So yeah, it comes back to my office or whatever. He's like, I need some MFR signed that says like, I feel bad for losing my ID. I promise not to do it again or whatever signed by my first sergeant. I was like, that is BS. Like, do you outrank a first sergeant? Like, write your own MFR and put your name on it and give it back to him. So he typed up the MFR right there. And he's like, I promise not to lose it again. Signed myself, like, whatever. And he takes it back to the MPF. And, of course, like, that just made them so mad. So the, the sergeant at the desk site can't compute. So he goes and gets his supervisor, who's a civilian, who's been there for 30 years. And the civilian's like, we have processes in place. You will follow our processes. Find your first sergeant. He's, anyway, it just goes on and on. So he like calls me back. He's like, hey, they're saying they're not going to take this. I'm like, you stand at that desk and you wait until they give you a new ID. So he's like, comes back like an hour later. He's all like, he's pretty excited, but he's like flushed. He's like, I won. We won. So I was like, well, what happened? <laughs> so I guess they like eventually got up to the officer in charge of the MPF, which is a first lieutenant straight out of, you know, like OTS or whatever. And she's like, I don't know what to do. So she signed it for him. And then they gave him the ID, but that civilian was so mad that we had bypassed the process. I, I love it. I don't get it. It's like the dog ate my homework kind of thing where it's like, oh, you're in trouble now. And it's like, I lost my ID. I don't know. Like that stuff happens. But I mean, and then the, that afternoon he goes and flies a, you know, $25 million jet. So the Air Force can trust you to go fly that jet because nobody else can do it except for him. But to get an ID, like that is, that is too much risk. We can't accept that. It's like the flight line driver's license program, you know, like I would just get the maintainers to drive me around purely out of spite <laughs> because I'm not going to do that test. I'm like, yeah, taxi a $30 million jet around this airfield all day long. But you're telling me I can't figure out how to like give way to an aircraft or stay inside these lines. Like this is dumb. You guys are dumb. Uh, I had a, yeah. I had a really crappy response. Maybe, uh, Maybe I should have said it, but I, I, I don't think I did in, in my uh, memory. I believe I kept it to myself, but I had the same thing. I was like, Hey, why do I need a flight line driver's license? Like I taxi jets around and they're like, well, it's different. And in my mind, I was like, how do you know? <laughs> like, <laughs> you've never taxied a jet. So how do you know if it's different, you know, driving a car, which again is not a nice thing to say. I hope I didn't say it, but it's, it's one of those things where you're like, I get it. There are processes, you know, and there, and you, we have to follow them, but we also have to use common sense and say like, Hey, maybe this doesn't make sense for, for pilots whose job it yeah. is to understand what lines mean, what, and what lights on the airfield mean, what, like I get it. But yeah. I don't well, know. Yeah. Explain to me what the importance of an ILS critical area is. 
what yeah, that little exactly. line means. I mean, I don't know what it means, but you know, I know it. <laughs> the way it's I know how to yeah. know how to utilize yeah. it. Yeah. It's well, purpose the, uh, is to make me nervous for about 30 seconds. Yeah. I'm like, is that the line I'm not supposed to cross? And then <laughs> yeah, I cross the, it. Can I, can I go past this? Yeah. Is this one of those days I can't go past it? What, what's the rules? Oh yeah. man. Speaking of, uh, just ridiculous, like buffoonery type things. So they're, they're moving, um, the markers on the airfield when at my last base, when I was at Holloman and before putting the new hold short and instrument hold short line, they paint over them. And mm. luckily the person who's taxiing out there is the wing commander at the time. And so he's taxiing out like, do, 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 just going to the runway. And he just doesn't see, he just sees like, you know, darker black streaks across the taxiway that used to be instrument hold short and hold short line. So he just like, well, man, I can't find the hold short line. Like, this is crazy. And sure enough, he has a, like a CMAV, like a controlled movement violation uh, (laughs) because they've painted over the hold short line and there's no hold short line now because they haven't painted the new hold short. And you're like, this is crazy. Luckily it happened to him because anybody else would have probably just oh, gotten yeah. destroyed, but it was like, oh, yeah. you better. Oh, Hey, wing commander. Yeah. You know, stuff happens, you know? So <laughs> well, yeah. speaking of, uh, speaking of MFRs, Bender, you know this. So rain, before you swapped us out in Jordan, we had a guy who was at Masawa with us. I won't say his name because he's probably doing really good things in the air force. Now he's a fast burner. Um, but he is, he got there two months before us. So he's leaving two months prior because he was doing like a wing weapons thing on our first deployment. Uh, and really great guy. And so we're in Japan. Obviously, Japan, if, if people, I'm a geography major, so I'm qualified to talk about this. Uh, <laughs> the, so Jordan, to get back to Japan, it makes sense to fly east. But most everyone else, who goes to, you know, like the Middle East, Jordan, all those places, uh, comes from the continental United States or possibly Europe. So the standard process of going back home, quote home, is west. And you must in process through Baltimore because that is where everyone from that side of the world goes back home. So he's like, hey, I understand that there's a process here, but I need to go to Japan. I don't need to go to the United States. And they're like, I'm sorry, sir. Like you need an MFR stating that you can deviate your travel. So same thing. He like writes this whole MFR and he's like, Hey, I'm trying to go to Japan. I can take like he, I mean, cause he's full up. He's like this specific flight to take me to this specific country back. And they get the MFR and they're like, no, sorry, we can't accept that. So he literally, because he's he's better than me, he literally takes the rotator through Baltimore and then has to travel from Baltimore, now west again, across the United States, across the Pacific, back to Japan, uh, because the process. And you're like, holy moly, this is crazy. Oh my gosh, that inflicts so much pain. Yeah, hey, for no real reason. Yeah, that's, I mean, again, these are like just the, all the shenanigans, like there's a million of them. And you listen to like other people like in the army and Navy, like everyone has these stories. You're just like, if we could sprinkle common sense, the problem is you get to size of an organization that the bureaucracy is so big. And it, I don't know if it's, C, is it CYA? Is that what's happening? Like no one is willing to like delegate the responsibility down to the lowest level because they're worried about their careers. Like, what is it? That's what I want to know. I don't lose sleep over this, but I'm curious right now. See, I feel like, I feel like it's a, it's just control. So perfect example. Uh, I think it was general Goldfein. Maybe it was the, the CSAF before him, but it was like, Hey, get rid of non-important processes. You know, like let's get rid of the extra stuff. Like let's stop doing these things. And somewhere between him and me as an end user, the processes yeah. were still in place. And I think there's just somewhere in between people like, no, I need this. Like I need this information. I need these things to happen. And they just don't let go. Like, even though their bosses, bosses, bosses saying it, you as an end user, you know, you can't be like, Hey, sorry, sir. But general Goldfein told me, you know, so yeah. I don't know. what do you think Bender? Yeah, I, I think it's CYA for sure. So we had, when I was in Afghanistan, we had, uh, 
Um, so we were obviously Vipers. So we carry some air-to-air missiles and some SDB or whatever other types of bombs. Um, and then the Raptors were somewhere in, where did it, were they, the deed? I don't even know where, but not the deed, yeah. I guess. They were somewhere over there. Um, but somewhere in uh, the planning process, it was like, hey, Raptors haven't dropped any bombs recently. Like, we want to justify, you know, why they're deployed and all that stuff. So they were like, Vipers, you're going to fight DCA in Afghanistan, which there's not a great air threat, you know, out there in Afghanistan. <laughs> but load up for DCA because we're going to have the Raptors fly in country to drop some SDB or whatever. We're like, wait, what? Like, no, no, yeah, you guys, uh, you know, we have there's potential threat coming from Tajikistan or whatever. I you <laughs> uh, <laughs> so that could happen because the Raptors are coming. So, like, load up. You'll be an air-to-air loadout or whatever, and you'll be fine, DCA. So, we're like, oh, fine. Like, what are the spins? Like, well, we don't have spins for you. Uh, just fly it. Like, well, like, what's the, like, what are we doing? And if something does happen, like, what's our authority to, like, you know, stop it or engage or whatever? Like, well, stand by, we'll get you that. So, like, the night of our first DCA bulls or whatever, there's still no, like, spins or authority. They're just like, just use the spins we use wherever in another place. And we're like, what is going on they're like don't worry about that here the one rule we do have for you comes from the i can't remember if it was, i think it was the the wing commander's like the one thing that the one rule we've put in place is that you won't do yo-yo ops or whatever so i'm like you couldn't it just was so frustrating like they couldn't no like command decision was made at all like nobody would take on the authority of like developing spins or defining what the threat was or anything like that the only decision any commander between my squadron and the CFAC or whatever it was, no yo-yo ops. So a flight leads decision. Like, like that's like the one decision I am supposed to be able to make. They're like, yeah, we don't we don't trust ourselves to make any decision except for your, you know, personal decision, whatever. And that I mean and that's now, yeah, yeah, it's and, across the Air Force like that. Like the only the only guidance we ever get is like guidance that at our level, like, you know, we can make you know, it's the same thing like losing your ID. Like they'll make those decisions for us. You know, but they don't trust us to make that decision. But all the huge, super important decisions, like they're not willing to make that, like or clarify that. No way, right. it's too dangerous. Yeah. yeah, let me take this this off your shoulders, and I'll handle this problem that uh, should be done between uh, a lieutenant and a major. Oh well. Yeah. Hey, shift gears here a little bit. Um, how much money would it take for you to sell your soul and train? with a near peer threat and teach them Western tactics. I won't name any countries, but I, I, there's a little, there's a news article out there. Apparently some of, uh, you know, our friends are working I, with a near peer threat or what we would deem as a near peer threat teaching tactics. I would never, but me neither. No. Let it stay, for the record, <laughs> I've never thought about that. We were talking about that in the bar last night, actually. We were like, there is a number, right? <laughs> yeah. Like, oh yeah, I have a number. <laughs> it's like two hundred seventy thousand dollars. That seems a little low to go sell. That's, that's not my number. Yeah. 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 I was like, oh man. I have yeah, a so feeling. Listen, there, yeah. There's, okay. I was like, there's an article out there that the British. There's thirty British pilots approximately that have are working with the Chinese, teaching them tactics and things like that. So, yeah. I think we would all agree for those listening. That's I. I would say considered selling your soul to sell your bros out. But yeah, sorry, Vader, what were you saying? Well, yeah, I would. I would say there's going to be fallout. I mean, like legitimate yeah. fallout from your ho- like home country. So the reality is, like, you have to be independently wealthy. You know what I mean? It'd have to be. Yeah. I mean, sub three hundred k a year. Like, that's a lot of money. That's a ton of money. But you may not be Never able go to go home. back home. You know what I mean? So it's like totally not worth it. That's crazy. Yeah, and it's like, not even Snowden money, you know? Yeah, yeah at exactly. least make Snowden money. <laughs> yeah. yeah you're, you're not, uh, you're not going back to the squadron barbecue reunion after, after that one, I don't think. Yeah. Yeah. So no, not yeah, I mean, again, 300,000 is not a small, yeah, I guess lump of change, but if you're never going to be able to go home or yeah, you're going to, you're going to live on an Island by yourself for quite a long time. It's kind of crazy, but that's, I mean, that stuff happens all the time. Yeah. I, I am assuming this is a, this is a broad assumption, 
Uh, I'm assuming they're like the dirtbag dudes, you know, the dudes in the squadron that yeah. the bros don't like anyway. And then they're like, fine, I don't care. I'm going to go teach China then. Uh, yeah, yeah, I can think I of a couple people that might. <laughs> yeah, go do that for sure. I wonder, uh, well, one, because I mean, maybe those dudes got burned by their military or yeah, just burned by their government, et cetera. So yeah, they might not care at all. Uh, the other piece, I'll say maybe I'll give like a benefit of doubt. Like, so it's run through a shell company in South Africa. Like, depending on how they interface, like, it could potentially be, like, if, I don't know, are they flying in South Africa or flying, you know, in the Middle East? There are a lot of expats that go to South Africa or go to Dubai, et cetera. So maybe they've been giving up this information, like, thinking they're training, you know, the South Africans. I don't know. But at some point, like, you got to be smart enough to at least realize that uh, maybe this is nefarious. Yeah, the uh, one other thing that I saw recently, somebody sent me uh, the YouTube video of the Chinese uh, ACM, the Air Combat Maneuvering. Air Con- yeah, ACM. Yeah. The, uh, but they use English. So they like do oh. ACM in English and they're like using all the same terminology that you would hear in like a U.S. engagement. And you're like, hmm, that's pretty interesting. Well, <laughs> uh, I mean... You saw they they bought a bunch. The Chinese bought a bunch of land. Was it next to what's a base up in north North Dakota? Minor? They bought like 150 acres, and I mean, I remember they would go up and down the eastern seaboard. I mean, they do it everywhere. I mean, yeah, everyone does it, right? They're out there observing tactics and how things are done. I think the latest thing it was a Grand Forks. North Dakota, I'm, but someone's going to like lose their mind over that. But <laughs> uh, a Chinese company ended up buying, you know, a hundred plus acres right next to an air force base, which we operate a lot of drones out of. And so, I mean, it's everything flows back to the party and the government. So that'll undoubtedly be utilized as a resource to gather information, etc. So I think a lot of people realize that, especially in the last like two years, they see what our dependency was or what our dependency is on other nations. And then also see maybe some of the reality of how certain nations act and behave not only towards their people or towards everyone else. Yeah. Again, I just, well, I have to keep, I have to go there. So I have to be careful. Yeah. yeah. Legitimately. That's true. Yeah. The, uh, you know, well, I know one thing, that now that I'm getting uh, through the F-15C TX, uh, I think China's shaking in their boots because yeah. I'm getting pretty lethal in this airplane. So just uh, hammered away. Oh yeah. So all of the so so far all my experience is in the simulator. So big big caveat there. First uh, first flight is coming up in a couple of weeks. Um, it is wildly different. I mean, aggressively different than the F-16. Uh, so for everybody out there who doesn't know, so the F-16 is what's called AOA limited. So angle of attack limited uh, to the point where you can pull back on the flight controls and the jet will limit the output to stop you from putting yourself out of control or overshooting the available uh, angle of attack or AOA. The F-15C does not do that. It has um, like hydraulics. Um, I should probably know this, but uh, it's like cables and hydraulics, I think. And uh, <laughs> but either way, it has like Man. a oh a small flight control computer doing like very minimal uh, inputs. So you kind of have like uh, hey, your rudders will d- rudders will d- deflect fifteen degrees without the flight control computer, and they'll deflect thirty degrees with it. So if your flight control computer kicks offline you don't have as much maneuverability. So you want the flight control computer, especially if you're going to go like really fast because pilot induced oscillations can get bad so that it helps with stuff like that. Uh, so rain, I'll ask you cause Bender, he's a 35 guy now. So he's all about AOA and redders and everything. So as an F 16 dude, yeah. when you think about flying like an AOA, like, Oh, I can do AOA excursions and I can bleed energy. How, what do you expect when you're, when they say like, Hey, yeah, step on the rudders and, and you know, you'll do the thing. What do you, when you're in the jet or you imagine being a dogfight and you see an adversary, like fly across your left side at like 2000 feet, what do you, what are you going to do with those flight controls or what, what are you attempting? Well, I'm going to try to 
get behind them and shoot them and kill them. Get them in a Wes, right? Yeah. But not having or being AOA limited, like I never thought about it in the Viper. I'm just like, I'm going to do this. Like you just pull as hard as you can to try and get there and you don't have to think about it. I would imagine now you're thinking a lot. You have to be, I don't know, I'm not a very good pilot, but like you got to be a champion not to like over G or not to part, like, you know, put the jet out of control because like fangs are through the floor as you hit the merge there and you just want to kill that person. I don't know. Yeah. That'd be really challenging, I think. I don't well, want to give you guys too much credit, but they uh, they tell me to my face, and it doesn't even hurt my feelings. They're like, "You actually have to like be a pilot and fly this plane," and yeah. I'm like, "Ugh, that's the worst." So, yeah. so I'm worst. yeah, so I'm like fighting in the sim. I'm uh, I'm merging with an adversary, and we're slower speeds now, so it's like the second merge. So for anybody who doesn't know, a merge could be. 180 degrees kind of passing north south on a highway you could kind of be 90 degrees out merges are you know they can be varied but either way i'm i'm slow so i'm like oh i'm slow i can't over g so less than like call it 350 ish a little higher than that you can just like pull the control straight to the seat pan and you won't over g and so i was like this is sick i'm just gonna like stop the jet and so seat pan and i just like and when i say stomp i mean stomp on the left rudder pedal because this jet is just going to like whip around and I'm going to be pointing at him and I'm just going to be ready to kill. <laughs> so like I like, that's right. And I go seat pan. That's what we call it. We guys and uh, seat pan. <laughs> and then I stomp on the left rudder pedal and the jet rips off to the right. I mean like total departure. And <laughs> I'm like, Oh my gosh, this is insane. So, uh, so the, apparently in the C model, there's two things. There's out of control and a full departure. Out of control just means the jet's not doing what you want. So if I pull back and move, like put the left rudder and the nose doesn't go anywhere, I am just out of control. Just ease off the back stick and the jet will probably get back in control and fly. A departure is the jet starts doing stuff that you don't want it to do. So like right there, Left rudder, I'm trying to go left, and the nose just like rips off to the right, and I get into this like excessive roll, and I was like, I, this is going to be a challenge. Like this is this is not like a one day I'll figure this out. Um, so definitely negative transfer. So then did he roll in behind you and kill you? That. Well, luckily it was you, like a, a simulator. Yeah, luckily it was like a simulator generated thing. So he's just like cruising along. So I, <laughs> I'm able to turn back around and, and go kill him. But yeah, there's That's, there's a lot. I heard uh, one of my our vice wing commander. He's a in reservist. When you get up to, I hope hopefully he doesn't listen to this. But you get pretty old in the reserves when you start to get to that level. So he's been around a while. Real young looking guy. He looks great. Uh, <laughs> anyway so he's been flying viper since they were you know the a model probably but he was talking about they brought he was a homestead reservist so they they were there when the f-22 is getting its final like um what do you call it was it when they oh ice whatever ioc it's final like what is it ioc yeah ioc so the final like combat checkouts for the f-22 i guess they brought some into it was at nellis and they had like chief of staff of the Air Force, I think it was Jumper at that time, like the Secretary of Defense. They're all there for this like last bowl of the F-22's like final combat checkout or whatever. So they had eight aggressors and eight of these homestead jets. And he's one of the homestead guys. And he, he said he was just like, it was like a two weeks straight of just like driving and dying and never seeing anybody. Um, but on the last day, he was like up at 37,000 feet, just like cruising. And he sees above him the this Raptor go, you know, like point straight at him. It goes through the cons. So he, he sees the flash and then he sees the cons. And so he's like, Oh yeah, I finally see one. Uh, and so he's like 1.3 or something. So he's like, I got the energy for this. So he just like pulls straight up at the Raptor, uh, like to get his nose on him or whatever. And then of course, like over commands this two bag Viper up at 40 something thousand feet. And so right as they merge, he goes out of control and the jet starts like falling out of the sky, but it starts falling out of the sky. Uh, I want to use my hands, but since we're on a podcast again, but basically his nose starts to, he just starts to spin or whatever. And his nose just tracks this Raptor as it's trying to merge with him. So it looks 
like he's just like i'm in a gun wiz, pretty much like right now as he's like just falling out of the sky not able to do anything and eventually another raptor kills him or whatever and then he recovers like at 20 something thousand feet and uh and so he like lands and he's like gosh i hope you know standard he's like i hope nobody noticed that that happened and i'm not gonna <laughs> say anything obviously uh, but when they go to the debrief uh everybody walks in and then they the like lead test guy is like you follow me and he's like oh gosh here we go so he goes into this back room and it's a it's like a teleconference and general jumper is there and the lead f-22 like engineers all those guys are there and they're like what happened and he's like what do you mean we just merged up at whatever forty thousand feet he's like how did you gun a raptor at forty thousand feet like what were you doing he's like you know i was just like we just merged i just turned across his tail or whatever just you know whatever just doing my pilot stuff <laughs> like stop it like tell us what happened he's like fine i went out of control and they're like ah. <laughs> they probably like it makes sense. they were just like terrified all of a sudden this viper just creamed you know this f-22 up that altitude or so they're like oh no big deal so jumper like turns the vtc off he's like let's go and they all just like just leave him sitting there he's like okay cool, <laughs> cool. <laughs> i guess i'm off the hook yeah just delay your caps the critical action procedures for the recovery there get your gun <laughs> yeah. shot and then you i mean you got plenty of altitude to recover that's awesome yeah, yeah it's pretty uh, funny I like how they didn't care at all that he was out of control and there was no knock it off or anything. It was like, oh, so you didn't accidentally kill a raptor? Cool, you're good. You know, yeah, nobody cares anymore. Oh, man. We did a uh, combat hammer. This is like 2015. No, no, I'm sorry. uh, Checkered flag where you go go shoot missiles and then the afternoon do that. Um, Yeah, hammer is out at Hill. But I was thinking, so we did you know, like a week, it was awesome. Shoot missiles like in the morning or the afternoon depended, but you do a huge large force exercise, the Raptors 35 Eagles from, uh, Eglin. And we were over at Tyndall doing this at the time. But I remember we were just red air, like multiple days in a row. And then finally it's like, Hey, we need like a blue air look. And so naturally the Raptors were red air and you're like, well, this is pointless. I think I, I went out with gigawatts as a mission check for me. And you're just like, I don't know. I'll get a valid shot when I do my fence in check or something like there's <laughs> just like, there's no, this is like completely pointless. So you can like run the timeline in your head. You're like, right, I'm probably getting shot in the face right now. Yep. I'm getting shot in the face. Cool. Yeah. Hey, thanks. It's just crazy. But Bender, you guys, I mean, again, a, a fourth gen fighter, I mean, even fourth gen with, with like an electronically scanned array radar is going to be a little bit better, but I mean, it's, it's not, it's not going to hang, you know, that's not, that's not our standard threat. Uh, Bender, I assume they talk about the, I believe button in the F 35, like during the TX, you know, they're like, obviously we complain all the time about the F 35. It's just our, you know, it's the right of the TX into the fat Amy, but they're like, one day you're going to be out there and you know, you're going to be making fun of whatever. And then all of a sudden you're going to see it. And you'll be like, I believe like, this is awesome. And so that happened in my first red flag and it was Raptor flying red air and like we pick them up pretty far. We like shoot them and I'm like, Oh gosh, here we go. As I trespass all my numbers, you know, standard red flag, like they're going to shoot me. I'm going to die in this debrief. But in the debrief, they never, it was awesome. We killed them and they never even had a clue. We were there. I'm like, okay, if we go to war, like this is the machine I probably want to be in. It's pretty money. Yeah, that's cool. When I think if you do your job right, you know, like in fifth gen, if you if you do the things and you, you put your jet where you want it to be, like it seems impressive, you know, outside looking in. It's, you know, you don't, uh, we were talking to Blitz Ayers and we were talking about like managing risk and things. And he's like, yeah, when you're, when you're young, when you're a lieutenant, a young captain, you know, it's like, hey, can you want to take some risk? And it's like, cool, how much you got? You know, you're just like, yeah. you're, you're happy to kind of onboard risk. And then you go to red flags and then you see just how many airplanes are flying around and how close everyone is. And you're like, this is mildly harrowing. Like this is wild, especially in like a fourth gen fighter or now where link 16 is not on a lot of platforms. So now you're just like, you don't have any sort of link 16 information of who's around you. And you're just like, think small for 90 minutes. Woof. Yeah, especially if you do one of those red flags, it's like a coalition one and you have all these different nations playing around. 
you're like, you get these small altitude blocks, say small, you're like 2,000 feet, and you're used to having like 10,000 feet for your formation. You go out there nighttime, and they're not used to doing a whole lot of night, or even you, like, it's not a, like, think skinny. I'm just hoping someone's not screaming through my altitude block at 450 knots. And I do remember, like, one of ours, we had, um, he was the chief of OGV prior to Bender, very experienced dude, great dude. And he came back. He went, he got spatial deed in one of the voles. And he was like 12,000 feet out of his, his altitude block. He hit the PARS button. So the jet automatically recovered, which thank God that existed. But, you know, in the debrief, they're like, hey, you're out of your altitude block. What are you doing? He's like, I was spatial deed. And everyone's like, oh, like, you know, if it can happen to him, it can happen to anyone. But again, Think skinny because someone go blitzing through your altitude block. A lot of, yeah, it's amazing. More crap doesn't happen. Yeah. And yeah. even, well, as block 50 guys, I mean, you, we have these seed caps that are, I mean, it's crazy. In F 35, we don't, we just don't fly that close together, uh, which is kind of nice. But in the block 50, I mean, you'd have that mini block, 2,000 feet for four of you, and you would have, you know, two elements on the opposite sides of these seed caps in the middle of the night. So the closest calls I ever had were, you know, like crossing paths with wingmen in the, in your seed caps, you know? Ugh. Yeah. Cause we'd have like a 500 foot mini altitude, like block between the two elements or whatever. You're just like passing 500 feet away from another like, 500 feet. No. Yeah. Doing 400 knots. Like that's not a lot of altitude. And then you're like NVGs with no depth perception, all the different stars, cultural lighting, et cetera. Like, trying to figure out like, Hmm, is that another plane or is that a star or, you know, a tower or what is that down there? Not a good spot. Yeah. I'd say, uh, one of, one of my least favorite red flag, uh, sorties cause Bender and I, I mean, we went to a few red flags when we were in Alaska and they were awesome. I mean, just a rage fest. I think there's, a, there's slightly less aircraft than like a Nellis, uh, flag. But it's just, it just seems like there's a lot more space. You can move around a little bit more. And then I went to like a Nellis red flag and I was like, this is intense. And uh, so it's an IMC vol, so instrument meteorological conditions. Uh, so we take off, four of us take off. Um, and about the time we hit the holds, we go into the weather. And the assumption is like, we're going to be in the weather all day. So we split Gross. up. So there's, yeah, there's two of us. Uh, it's I'm number three. My number four is my DO at the time when I was at McIntyre and, uh, we're in the weather just fighting and I'm like trying to do the job. There's surface threats that are radiating and shooting at you. So you're trying to defend, but stay relatively level. Uh, and then there's an aggressor that I see that I'm, that I'm trying to figure out if he's alive, if he is a bad guy, if he is a good guy. And then I realize I'm like, he is below halfway down the scope on a 20 scope. And I was like, Oh, we are like merging. Like he's less than 10 miles away from me. So this is happening. And if for an F 16, they have two radios. So not a ton of radios when there's like five different frequencies you could be on. Uh, so most of the time block 50 F 16s are over probably the escort freak or the strike freak. Uh, and then their secondary radio is not to like talk to your flight. It's to talk to the seed roulette people because you kill the radio uh at red flag so you have to tell the the seed rtos or range training officers what you're shooting at so they know uh what sams to kill or not kill so you can't really talk just to your flight so while we're doing this uh my do has a complete uh mmc failure which is your mission computer so effectively it's like he has an operating motor flight controls and engine. Uh, he has no navigation. He has no screens. And so he's, so this happens. So literally I'm pointing towards the threats, uh, and he is pointing back the, so in trail of me and he just goes on the RTO frequency. So the range training officer frequency, and he goes, I lost everything. I've got nothing. Uh, he's like, I'm going to say it. And he's a, he's a prior Navy dude, tons of experience. I mean, he flew, the F-14, F-18, then the F-16, you know, all of us are IPs. Uh, and he goes, I'm going to say it. I'm going to say it. 
I'm going to say it. And he goes on, this is all in the ox freak, the secondary freak. And he goes on the pride uh, radio, which everyone is fighting on. We're on the escort freak this time. And so the words knock it off are like, should be sacred. And you say knock it off and the fight's over. Uh, and so he goes, knock it off, knock it off. Iron four, four is knocking it off. And that's like a direct quote. And like, if it's, if you could be unsure, you know, if you hear like, knock it off, you know, you're like, did somebody say something? I didn't hear, you know, but it is like very clear. Like iron four, four is knocking this fight off. And there's like this pregnant pause and an RTO on the air to air side yells negative. And then everybody starts calling their missile shots and the fight just picks back up. So now IMC rules, you're supposed to do like, Hey, so many degrees of bang, so many degrees of pitch, but he is now, he has no MFC. He has nothing. So I go max AB and I just like, like limiter pull around the corner to put him within my radar field of view before he falls off the link. So I lock him up and uh, tell me if I've already told this story here, but, uh, but so I lock him up and, uh, and right as his, like, uh, his link 16 PPLI disappears. And so I'm like, all right, four, I'm locked to you. And he's worried about going. So we're kind of, we're just south of the Revelies. So if you go farther south, obviously that's not great. So he keeps right. like listing, um, what is that? Is that, that's north. So he keeps listing like towards the Revelies. And I'm like, you're going to punch out of the airspace. Like you're, you're, you're going to fly out of the airspace. Stop going left. And he's like, no, I don't want to go right. Like, I don't want to run into the other thing. So, uh, so I'm like max AB just chasing him down through the airspace in the weather. Uh, and then I get to like a mile and trail and it's, there's just a sucker hole in the clouds. And I'm like visual. And I like rejoin on him, like fly in there to like, to close formation. And I'm like, all right, I'm on your right wing, like call visual. I'm like, all right, you know, root. And as we start a right-hand turn where that little triangle cutout is for the tanker track, you know, and that kind of Northeast side of the airspace. So we're like edging, like I don't want to fly into the tanker track. And I roll out pointing roughly South and I realize we are on the Marshall limit line for vol three. And I look at the clock and we are on push time. Like I literally watch the clock, like roll to zeros for the new push time. And I just see this like sea of like uh, link 16 tracks start pushing across like towards us. And luckily uh, you guys know him. Flash McVeigh uh, is in one of the other F 16s. I think he was nitro flight and in the weather, he's just like in place 90, right? Like he just like, Nope, we're not pushing. We're done. So we're co-altitude because we're supposed to leave as he shows up. So we're all staring the same, uh, same piece of sky and we fly perpendicular to the push at nitro's altitude. And I literally see like sharks in the ocean, just strike eagles flying under us, just like little oh blips of them through the clouds. And, uh, and we obviously make it back home, but I was furious. Like I could not be more mad at whoever it was that called that. And, uh, the debrief was pretty long that night, not surprisingly, but yeah. we, we made it back. What did yeah, they say well, about yeah, the knock it off? And yeah. Ne- negative. Like you can't so, override that. It's again, saying F in front of mom. You can't take yeah, it back. You can't triple stamp a double stamp. Yeah. So the, yeah. uh, so this was the thing that really pissed people off. So we get back in and like the standard thing is like you show up and you first thing you do is talk about the admin. You know, like, hey, any questions from the brief? You know, like, hey, let's talk about getting there or coming back. And then they're like, obviously, we're going to talk about the thing. And they're like, yeah, we'll get to that in a little bit. You know, obviously, that's a big deal. So we don't want to like, um, like not spend time on it. And then we get to the shop valve. And it's like, weird. So the shop validation is where you like, everybody sits down and pairs all the missiles they took and uh, sees what the truth that is. And then the shop validation's over, and then they go, all right, ready, you're cleared off. And uh, this one of the patches in the room, I don't know him really well. He's an awesome dude, but I, I won't use his name here. He stands up, and he, like, points to literally every part of the, like, red air. And he goes, sit down. We're not done. And I was like, sick. And, uh, and that's when we get into it. But they were literally going to let, like, all of red air and, like, half of the fight leave before talking about this uh, negative. 
And then we get a little obfuscation and we get a little like, well, you know, you know, people were unsure, blah, blah, blah. So we never actually find out who said it. Um, but either way, it was, uh, it was suboptimal and we, we get to the bottom of it, how you can't, you can't turn off and knock it off. Uh, and the worst part was it was because the third push was going to lose out on training if we knocked off the fight. And I was like, I, I'm so furious. Cause you know, if we run jets together, if a guy crashes like, Oh yeah, that that's going to hold up, you know, like people are gonna be like, Oh, you're right. I can't imagine why you would lose the third pushes training. So just ridiculous. Yeah, that story spread pretty quickly. I think like that same night we were getting texts about it and stuff. And I think the Tigers were like, we're never going back to Red Flag until the, because the, the commander of Red Flag, I think, acted unprofessionally is what I understand. Or I guess I'll tell a story from yeah. what I heard from him. But I get he would give out green chips for superior performer and red chips for the kind of the lymphax of the bull. Uh, and so my understanding is that he gave a green chip. I don't even know who he gave to probably C2 or somebody who was useless, but he wanted to make feel better about their lives and then throws the red chip at, wasn't it your flight lead or something? Yeah. Or maybe it was at which, the Tigers or somebody. No. Like, and you guys need to do better about like, like understanding when you should call knock it off or whatever. And the story is that he like throws the red chip at the guy and the guy just stares at him and let it like, it just hits him in the chest and just lets it fall to the floor. It's just like, F you like we're not coming back to red flag again until he's gone. Yeah, so it was it was almost exactly that. Yeah, so the the number one, the flight lead, was the squadron commander. So number one was the squadron commander, number four was the DO who it happened to. And uh yeah, he's like, hey, number one, he throws him like the the bad chip, like you screwed up chip. And uh he's like, You gotta control your flight, you know, like that's on you. If someone knocks off wow. your knock it off, you gotta knock it back off again. And, uh, yeah, he throws a chip and he like holds up a binder. Cause one, it, I was flabbergasted that he just overhand throws chips to the like last row. It's like a 40 yard throw to the back of yeah. the room. And anybody who's held poker chips, you're like, that's dangerous. So he literally holds up like his like Bob binder, you know, he holds it up and it hits a binder and falls to the floor. And like somebody in the row in front of him, like picks it up. He's like, here you go, sir. And he's like, don't give me that. Like drop it on the ground, and uh, yeah, McIntyre left. They were like, "We're done here," and they just went home. They didn't. It was like a Wednesday or something, and they were like, "Thursday, we're getting ready to go home, and we're just leaving." Like they're not. So yeah, they were rightfully so furious. Wow, was that? Yeah, I'm trying to think. I did one. Did we do a red flag together when you were at McIntyre, or I might have been. It might have been. I, I did only, one with McIntyre. Yeah, been like I, 2015 or 16. Okay, yeah, I didn't get there yet. I wasn't I wasn't out there until late sixteen. Um, but yeah, that would have that would have been before. But man, that's I was gonna tell my story, red flag, my worst sorty, but it doesn't even compare. It's when I lost my lip light, and then we were like on switch to runway three <laughs> operations. Oh, man. which hey, was a significant emotional event. I'm like, my lip light died on departure. I'm like, I might abort this sorty and head back, and then it, then it switched to runway three recovery when it wasn't supposed to. Like, oh. oh, this is. This is terrible. Runway three, I was like, please no. I just if it's runway three, just uh, let me land opposite direction. I'll ex- I personally accept a twenty knot tailwind for yeah. a runway two one. Uh, oh man, well that red flag is a it's a great. Just so much crap happens at red flag. It's it's awesome. Good yeah. stories. We had we had one guy who took off and didn't lift like he didn't. He was, was like his first red flag. So he just got FMQT and we were like the first jets on this giant departure and he forgets to like raise his gear. So, and then he overspeeds the crap out of it. Anyway, so <laughs> we, like, he's like, I can't catch up in the rejoin. And they're like, well, your gear's down. So that's your problem. Uh, so that like, happens like, again, the first jet of the entire go. So he slows down to like 200 knots. So this entire train that starts towards the airspace is like let out by this guy who's now like creeping back at 200 knots and all the other formations of fighters are just like getting like, just crushed up against it so they're like starting to vector people off the departure to try to get them around uh the i won't say his name either for but um actually i probably will but we ended up naming him obviously at that red flag uh and so the sorry i'm in a softball tournament here you go say hi you're on a podcast (laughs) Uh, hold on i'll be right there uh anyway so the his name is pretty funny because they it was they ended up naming him limbo 
for like how low can the bar go you know like just always trying to go as low as we can go <laughs> <laughs> i was like that is a good name i love it oh that's cool oh, that's brutal he's we had one of those guy. we had that uh, yeah yeah it's, they always are they still are yeah. we had one we had a departure and this was it actually it i would say this red flag we came back from our deployment and this new commander you probably can accredit him with, I don't know, maybe at least 20 people getting out of the Air Force, but this was this was it. This is where it kicked off. We had a young wingman who did the same thing. First go, his first red flag. Uh, he left the gear down on departure. And it happens, right? And then he ended up getting dinged, uh, rightfully or wrongfully, but it was, it was something like it kind of changed the course of the squadron. I feel like in... Most fighter squadrons, like you're going to mess something up at some point, like metal's going to get bent, but like, so long as like no one dies and it's not malicious, it's usually like, Hey, you're going to wear you're you might be grounded for a week and you're doing like ground duty. You might, you're going to stand in front of the squadron on Friday and tell everyone what you did so people can learn from it. But like, there's nothing permanent on your record, like busting them on a check ride. And he got busted and that was kind of like the turning point where like, oh, I guess we see how it's going to be. Because the heavy community, like they're pretty Q2 and Q3 happy. I mentioned on other podcasts, but like if you, like a Q1 for is a check ride pass, Q2, you might have to clean up some items. It's still like not great. And a Q3 means you fail. You're not qualified. And commanders can hand those out at any point if they deem necessary. And that's what happened in this scenario. And for us, like it was like, ooh, that's something new in the fighter world. You're like, so it, it only got worse from there. That's it's, when I showed up at the squadron when it had, it had reached yeah, the worst yeah. from there. Like, this yeah. is going to be awesome. I'm going to be in rain squadron. Like, it's totally awesome. The gamblers are great. I get in and it's like, what is wrong oh, no. with this place? <laughs> yeah, like, yeah. And, like people would like get done fun. They come out of debrief and they would just like freaking leave the building. Like no talking, no fun. I'm like, what is, it's hard to like wreck a fighter squad in some morale, but that's what I mean. Yeah. Zero of it. Yeah. He, he, he wrecked it really quick. Cause Vader, I mentioned he blitz is going to be on the Kodiak shack. I've had blitz blitz was my boss. When we were, when we were downrange and ripped you guys out, blitz was awesome. And you know, we're downrange like, Oh, this guy's going to be great. You know, cause we're leading up to his change of command and then talking to some of the other guys and like the tigers or the shooters had flown with them when he was not a commander, like, oh yeah, he's great. You guys, he's, he's awesome. And he was anything but awesome, which you're not always going to have like good bosses, you know, and you have to figure out what they need, but it goes back to like, in my opinion, he was purely CYA. He viewed being a squadron commander as only a hurdle to his upward mobility, because if anything bad happens in your squadron as the squadron commander, whether it's your fault or not, like you get blamed or it's going to impact your next assignment, your, your stratification. If you're going to go to school, yada, yada, yada. He knew that. And everything he did was based upon that. In my opinion, it's, it's unfortunate. It almost, it's almost like some sick joke that it's like, you almost never find two squadron commanders that are good in a row. It's normally like a touchdown of a squadron commander. And then it's like, it's almost like they know, hey, we got to put this guy somewhere, at least put him in a squadron that just had a good commander. And then, you know, hopefully after that, you get a good commander again, which it sounds like that did happen for the 77th after him, that it kind of rebounded yeah. with the next commander. But yeah, it's it's disheartening to see just how bad a bad commander can, can be for a squadron. Yeah, just one guy. I saw, uh, so at that time, Hyper Anderley was the Tiger commander which was kind of entertaining, but now I see, yeah, he's like the wing commander out there. I saw him in the news, Bender. Oh, yeah. He's awesome. He has, yeah, I think we love, well, I love Hyper, I'm pretty sure all the bros do up the hill. Yeah, he's a good dude. He, We just had uh, a jet crash a couple of days ago, uh, which is, a, obviously, that's a huge deal. I think it's the first Air Force F-35 crash. I think I could be wrong, but anyway, it's a big deal. So we, yeah. had, we had a pilot meeting yesterday kind of about it with him talking anyway he's just a there's just something you know he's not he's not like a weapon school grad or like a lineage you know like in the air force there's a pretty standard way of becoming a squadron commander you know you guys are familiar with your 
like quick to IP, quick to weapon school. You go back and teach a weapon school as fast as possible. And those are the guys that usually end up being squadron commanders. And a lot of them are great. Um, but that, that doesn't, those aren't necessarily, they don't always make the best commanders. Ever. Anyways, Hyper is not one of those, right? Hyper's a fate. Uh, and then just a really good dude. But that's, I mean, he's just a great leader. And some of my favorite squadron commanders are, sorry, somebody got a hit. And this is through a softball, so they're going to scream for a while. <laughs> Uh, anyway, so I it's mean, like my son's baseball game. <laughs> yeah, but like Fokker, Busey. I know we don't generally throw names out there, but Fokker Busey's awesome commander. Doesn't have that that kind of lineage, but it, it's just about like understanding. I think the best commanders they get, you know, they understand the purpose of the squadron, and then they're they're just willing to take the risk to make sure that the mission happens and the dudes are taken care of. You know, and you can always you can always sniff out the ones who are dedicated to that, and then the ones who are a lot more gun shy about that. Yeah, hundred percent. Well, guys, I uh, I hate to kill the party, but I got to get going. I got a simulator in a bit, so kind of got to get to work. But uh, but hey, thanks for thanks for uh, spending the time, guys. We we appreciate uh, I, you know I always appreciate you guys hanging out and chatting. We're gonna have to do this again because once I hit the flight line, there's gonna be more buffoonery. So yeah it's yeah. gonna be dedicated dedicated uh podcast to listen to what happened to vader that week yeah <laughs> all right well uh you guys awesome. have a good one have a good weekend and uh and i'll talk to you guys later awesome see you guys hope everyone enjoyed this episode it's always fun to talk to vader and bender from the kodiak shack podcast thanks for those supporting the podcast over on patreon and as always thank you to those who've taken the time to drop a rating or review over on itunes and spotify to help the podcast out That being said, we're out of here. We'll see you next time.